February 15th, 2024. We're in Masechet Bava Kamanda Amudal. Count from the bottom of the Amud up. It's four lines up, the second word on the line. What the Gemara had just done is distinguished between female and male hyenas. That's what the Gemara had set forth for us. That is a difference, and that our Mishnah may have mentioned one. And uh, we supplemented that from a Beraita by saying that the other is as well a part of the Mu'adim Mitahilatam, the wild animals, which from their initial state, without having any warnings, would be full liability, nezik shalem, if they caused damage to another person. And the Gemara, in final words, supporting, it appears, uh, the notion of two different types of hyenas, the male and the female, and perhaps them having different characteristics, uh, cites a uh, questionable, or curious, rather, Beraita. What's that? No, they're identical. That's the point. The Mishnah only mentioned one, suggests the Gemara, but the Beraita tells us the other is as well. Which one is talking about which? We mentioned Rashi has two versions to that. And then the Gemara finishes this again with a peculiar Beraita, Ditanya. Sabo'a Zakhar, a male hyena. Le'achar Sheva Shanin. Sounds like after its death, with the passage of seven years, Na'asa Atalev. So far I can handle this, Eli. It uh, transforms. That's what Harari is injecting. I know it doesn't say it. It doesn't say it explicitly in the Gemara. However, I'm talking in terms of what I know the Hachamim saw as well. When you look in the world, you can notice that hyenas don't transmorph into bats unless they mean this in a spiritual sense. Or alternatively, they still mean it in a spiritual sense, but it means after the death. After the death of an animal, uh, seven years later, in some way, the way it, so to speak, comes back or becomes reformed, is as a bat. So from a hyena to a bat. All right, just hang tight. The bat then transmorphs after seven years. Can you help me with that one? Another type of species of a bat. In other words, you have an herbivore bat and you have a carnivore bat, if I'm not mistaken. Is it something along those lines? Okay, there's a different transformation. Arpad kimosh. That's a type of shrub, a type of thorn. Uh, so from that, from the uh, from a different type of bat, uh, seven years later, we're suggesting after its death, it becomes a type of thorn. Kimosh Again, a type of thorn, shrub. Good. shed. After that seven years, it becomes a demon of sorts. Uh, that's the description. Uh, what are we to glean from this, aside from uh, noticing the uh, obscure nature of this Beraita? Maharsha, at his most basic level, uh, teaches us uh, from this that everything which comes about is in some way reflective of that which preceded it. When you look at and think about the most wild or dangerous of creatures and species, we can then see the lowly, uh, so to speak, transformation from one to the next. When we talk about thorns, we're talking about the lowly, dangerous thorns, one thing leading to the next, but in some way associated with the one that preceded it with regards to its evil nature, its uh, negative aspects. In other words, to be able to appreciate... We're not something in that respect is what the Gemara is describing according to my understanding. But what are we to glean from it? 
the suggestion is the, uh, the, the production or the essence of life as we know it is in some way, and we can look at it in the physical world and understand that, associated with its origin. Our origin from our parents, the nature and nurture of our parents, is in many ways reflected in the way that we live, in the people that we are, both uh, in DNA as well as just in terms of how we associate and grow in this world. In this Beraita, in an obscure way, it's describing just a lot of things you wouldn't want to come in contact with, one after another after another. At its most basic level, you can understand there's an association one with the other because we can and should understand that if there's something of that nature, it comes from something similar in that nature. That's Maharsha's basic suggestion. The Gemara, if you think, is done with that. It's got one more line, so you're, you'd be surprised. As the Gemara further understand with regards to human beings, Shidro shel Adam, the spine of a human being, Le'achar sheva shanim na'asa nahash. Seven years, this time do they write after his death? No, even not after his death. Seven years, I'm suggesting, after the death of a human being, uh, their spine becomes a snake. That doesn't mean that your spine physically, if it's while you're alive, it certainly is not physically becoming a snake. We just haven't seen such a reality. It either means after death or it means in some spiritual sense, it's snake-like. What does that mean? Hang tight. This is specifically and only true when the individual doesn't bow down during the berachav modim, in the Amidah, well, what's that supposed to mean for us? You don't bow down in the Modim, therefore your spine is spiritually, physically, after death, in some respect, becoming snake-like. Tosafot on the next side of the Amud, in the middle, Vehu de Lokara, it gives us an initial addressing of this issue. Writes Tosafot here again on Daf Tetzayin Amud Bet, Vehu de Lokara Modim. What does modim and the kiri'ah, the bowing, have to do with a snake? It's a mitzvah to bow at that juncture in the Amidah. We're familiar with that, modim. And the Gemara says, when you straighten yourself out, again, you bow at modim, and then you straighten yourself out. The Gemara in Berachot and Daf Yod Bet says, zakif You're supposed to straighten yourself out like a... Snake, would you know it? The rabbi's description of how you straighten yourself after bowing is like a snake. What does that mean? It means it's a slow and gradual and your head almost comes up after your body. You're supposed to bow down like a rod. Quick bow down is what the Gemara says. And then as you come up, it's a little bit slower, like a snake. Says Tosafot, midah keneged midah. You didn't bow and straighten yourself in the snake-like fashion. Guess what happened to your spine, which is the... Uh, part of your body which is exerting that bowing, na'asa nahash, that's the punishment, it's very much a lowly state to become a nahash, to become a snake. Is there anything more to obviously, all divrei hachamim have an added depth to it. It's not just a simple midah keneged midah. Perhaps you should have bowed appropriately, but you didn't. And therefore, this is, after all, that Gemara is only talking about the berachav modim. It's not associating, it's not addressing any of the other berachot. That's an interesting clue as to maybe what the hachamim have in mind. The truth is that uh, the Gemara in Masechet Sotan, Daftet Amut Bet, 
describes the before and after, not on that sheet yet, the before and after of the Nahash HaKadmoni, the first Nahash. And maybe from reading the rabbi's description, we can understand something in terms of what they're getting across over here. Says the Gemara over here at the top of Dafteta Mutbet and Masechet Sota. Vechen matzinu benahash HaKadmoni. So too you find in the original snake, the one in the Gan Be'edin Mikedin, the one described in the Torah at the beginning. Shenatan Enav he had in his mind that which was not his. He stepped out of the bounds of what was truly his. He wasn't, I'll put it in different words, thankful for that which he had, but rather assumed he should have more. That which he wanted, he didn't get. And that which he had, he lost. Well, how so? Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kivyachol, God said about the Nahash, Ani amarti yehem melech al kol behema vehaya. I said he should be reigning supreme, the king of the animal kingdom, the snake should be. But instead of that, after all, why was the Nahash, how can we associate that in the Torah? He would have been, according to the simple interpretation, the only animal who walked upright, who had a Koma who had the ability to be straight as opposed to all the others who are down Still? Maybe from then. Oh, serpent, because they have the royal, yeah. He was reigning supreme as king. Now he's the most cursed of all animals. God says, says the Midrash, that the snake should walk straight, upright, with a pride, appropriately. Now he'll go on his belly. I said that he should eat like a human being, and now he's going to eat the dust of the ground. But the description, the depiction of the hachamim with regards to the before and after of the snake, I think is very telling, because it describes the snake as initially having an upright state while being, so to speak, a king, not realizing what was his and what's outside of his bounds, and therefore being set down to the ground, no longer having a koma Perhaps that's the initial stage is to understand the rabbi's depiction of our bowing to remember and to personify and realize the snake-like bowing along the, down to the ground in the moment when you're being thankful. At the moment of modim, says our Gemara, that's the situation, that's the circumstance, the time during which you can and should most remember the wrongdoing of the Nahash. The Nahash couldn't be thankful for that which he was given, needed to extend himself further, was pushed downward. We in turn are doing similarly. Uh, perhaps that's the description of the Tosafot of the Gemara over here. The description is one in which if a person hasn't been able to appropriately, and it doesn't mean in the literal sense they didn't bow in Modim, it means they didn't live up to what it means to bow in Modim. They may have said the words of Modim, but they weren't machni'at that snam. They didn't understand that I shouldn't have a komazikufa. The Gemara Masechit Kiddushin has a bold statement that it's asur, it's forbidden for a person to 
walk bekoma zekufa. What's koma zekufa? With a straight back. Why not? Melochola aretz kevodo, because the world is God's and not yours. Koma zekufa denotes, koma zekufa depicts a person who believes that it's all coming to them. The description in turn of the Gemara is if you're not able to be machnia, to humble yourself, to put yourself down, to be thankful to God, to say, this is what you've given me and I'm thankful for that, but instead assume that you have more, much like the Gemara and Sota, the Nahash believed that he was, well then what's happening to your very shidra, your very spine, which is supposed to depict that in your actions, it will become snake-like, it'll become like a snake, effectively you've turned yourself into that snake. It's only in connection to that last beraita of the transformation afterwards. Nothing more and nothing less. Of course, it'll address a snake, which we've been talking about until now, but no, nothing more, nothing less. It's connected to that beraita, which had been talking about this transformation, so it talks about this as well. Says the Gemara Amal Mor. Now let's go back briefly to the beraita that we cited. The beraita, if you recall, was adding on to the cases in our Mishnah. The beraita said, af. You had two opinions, and it said, af. Amar Amar Mor Rabbi Meir Omer Af Hatzaboa Rabbi El Azar Omer Af Hanahash. The Beraita said that there's additions to the Mishnah. The Mishnah mentioned the Ze'ev, the the Ari, the Bardelas, and mentioned different animals. And then this Beraita, we cited it in trying to define what the Bardelas was. But this Beraita then said. Rabbi Meir says, even the Tzaboa, and Rabbi El Azar says, even the Nahash. Pause for a second. What about even the Nahash? The Bilazah says, even the Nahash, you might recall his words in the Mishnah, don't accord with that. The Ha'anan Tenan, didn't we learn in the Mishnah, Rabbi Lazar Omer, Bizman Chen Bene Tarbut, Enan Mu'adin, the Nahash, Mu'ad Le'olam. In our Mishnah, Rabbi Lazar was clear that the Nahash, and only the Nahash, is at all times Mu'ad from its original and normal setting. A Nahash can never be cultured, and as a result, it's only the Nahash. Nahash is not like the others. You can't have a statement of Rabbi Lazar saying, and all. Also, the Nahash. The Nahash is different. The Nahash is more conniving. The Nahash is more dangerous. The word af, even, is a difficult word. The Gemara therefore says, indeed, um, uh, so again says Gemara, le'olam tane, excuse me, Nahash mu'ad le'olam tane answers the Gemara, Nahash, period. You should have had, in the words of Abil Azar in this Biraita, strike the word, erase the word af. And Rabbil Azar is disagreeing. Rabbil Azar is saying, no, not the hyena, not any of those other things. Only Nahash is Mu'ad Le'olam. All right, that's that. Says the Gemara onward. Now, uh, let's go back to understanding, well, those final descriptions of the wild animals, the lions, the tigers, the bears, etc. Amar Shemuel, Ari Bershut If I'm dealing with, if a situation is such that your pet lion goes out into a public area and... There, what does it do? Daras ve'achal. If it attacks and eats. Rashi, two lines from the top. Daras, shelo haraga, ela mehayim achala. The animal, the lion, attacks, the word dirisa means, without killing, maybe it pushes its paws into uh, the other animal, and eats it while still alive. What's the halakha? Patur. Why patur? De'orhehu, says Rashi. Because that's the normal way a lion would attack. 
Lions don't wait for their prey to die. Lions eat them while alive. So then why is it patur? Veshen bershut harabim writes Rashi patur. This would be a classic case of shen bershut harabim. The animal is attacking and eating, deriving pleasure in a public area. What's the halakha if an animal eats in a public area? Patur. Taraf ve'achal. What if it kills its prey and only then eats? It's not what it says in our Gemara. It says, Taraf ve'achal. It kills it and then eats it. You're ahead of me, or the art school for some reason is telling you that here. I don't know why. Hayav. What's the halacha? That situation, you're hayav. One more time. The normal way that a lion attacks and kills is when the animal that it kills is still alive. That's how it eats it. It eats even min If the lion goes, kills the animal, and then eats it, that situation, if it's done, why would you be hayav in the irregular case? Well, we can figure this one out based on our principles. Our principles are shen benefit from eating in a public area, patur. Keren, what's keren? Keren is the irregular case where I go, my animal gores your animal. Irregular, when am I liable? In abim, and what am I liable for? Half. So ironically, the halakha is when the lion acts irregularly, it's hayav. When it acts regularly, since it's in Rashut Arabim, it's Shen, it's Patur. That's what Rashid spells out for us. I don't know why your Gemara says that already now, Eli. Taraf, Sheharaga, Ve'achala. Doesn't say anything about storing away. Hayav, Delav, Orhehu. That's not the normal way. Ve'tolada, Dekerenhu. That would be considered a toladav kerin, which in turn is paying hatinezik berushu tarabim. I was going to comment on this gemara two things. All right, if you say so. I don't. I don't. I don't know where. We haven't addressed that issue yet. Why so? No, I mean, no, I said it's a pet. I didn't mean domesticated. I mean, well, it has to be owned by someone. Otherwise, there's not. I just meant, okay, take away the word pet. The Mishnah does go on at the end, if you recall. We'll return to this in the Gemara. The words of Rabbi Lazar at the end of the Mishnah are any of those animals, if they are domesticated, then they're not mu'ad immediately. So it depends upon if it's domesticated or not domesticated. Only according to. Yeah, but again, because he's doing it in an irregular fashion. If it does it in the regular fashion, for example, if the animal goes into your property and eats your lamb, it's hayav immediately. Why is it hayav immediately? Full amount. Why is it hayav immediately? That's shen, bereshut hayahid, bereshut hanizak. If it does it in the public area, so this is, you're touching on the first issue I want to touch, we're saying it's hatzinezik. Rashi spelled that out. That's clearly what we're dealing with. Why is it hatzinezik? Because it's kerim. But wait a second, our Mishnah said that all of these animals, when they're not domesticated, are mu'ad immediately. 
Well, they're mu'ad immediately for what? They're mu'ad immediately, that means that they're going to be liable for full payment immediately. What are you talking about? That's shame. We're talking about kerem. Now, if you recall, when we learned the Mishnah, we talked about, well, what does it mean to be mu'ad immediately? And we read from Rashi at the time. Rashi said, Hare elu mu'adin afilu nizikin. It doesn't matter how they attack, how they damage. Any and all of these animals are liable for full payment immediately. This Gemara, says Jeffrey, is very difficult on Rashi. If they're immediately liable for full damage, we don't know how to explain Shemuel. The first one to point this out is not a question on Rashi, it's just the Tosafot that I quoted when we learned the Mishnah. So if you'll turn backwards to Daftet Zayin Amudal for a moment. Tosafot, and you'll see, they prove it from our Gemara. I'll tell you what they say before we read it inside. They claim they're only mu'ad mitehila, meaning full payment immediately, if they do their normal mode of attack. Therefore, if the animal is acting in the way that it normally would attack, immediately liable, it's not necessary to get three warnings. If they do an irregular action, well, then they're also going to be Hatsinezik. The answer to your question then, Jeffrey Tosafot gave. We have difficulty on Rashi. Tosafot says an animal, a lion, is not supposed to kill and then eat. It just doesn't do that. Maybe a, a leopard does. Maybe a snake does. That lions, they don't do that. When we say that a lion is mu'ad mitahilato, we mean if a lion goes and devours its prey while alive, it's liable immediately. Tosafot v'hnachashare elu mu'adim. We're not considering these animals, these wild, undomesticated animals, each one of them in the way that's orheh, that's their normal way, kigon. For example, shibazeev v'taraf, ari v'daras, o taraf lahaniyah, hava b'midah delav orheh, kigon. In other words, if you have a lion which kills and Eli stores away, it's going to be Agamaran, that's normal. If you have a lion which, which doesn't kill and devours, that's normal. If you have a lion which kills and then eats on the spot, that's just not normal. And therefore, says Tosafot, He's citing our Gemara. So again, back to our initial issue and to try to understand what Shimuel then has made clear for us. Shimuel has made clear that we may have misunderstood those final words in the, Gemara, in the Mishnah. The Mishnah finished with a description of the animals which are always liable for full payment. Says Shimuel, not true. Well, you're not true. You're going against the Mishnah. No, I'm defining the Mishnah, explains Tosafot. The Mishnah means if they attack in their normal fashion, liable immediately. If it's an irregular fashion, even these animals are going to be Hatsinezik. What's the logic in that? Oh, not so hard. What are you as the owner supposed to be worried for? What are you supposed to be looking out for? You're not supposed to assume this would happen. And as a result, we'll only have you on Hatsinezik on those. How do you answer for Rashi? 
Rashi told us that all of those animals, irrespective of how they kill and how they attack, are mu'ad mitahila. Again, those were the seemingly unnecessary words of Rashi. Rashi explicitly says, in any way that they attack and devour, there seems to be an answer to that. Shitam Mikubesit quotes from, uh, from Rash. And he writes the following, when the Mishnah tells us their Mu'ad immediately, Nezek Shalem, that's with regards to attack. What about with regards to eating? Suggests Shitami Kubetzit, even according to Rashi, maybe when the animal goes ahead and eats, then you have to distinguish. Is this the normal way it would have done it or not the normal way? That's the dohak that Rashi suggests, which would work for Rashi. Go ahead. So you're saying if it's the normal way, Aha, you're walking me to the next point I want to make. Give me one second. Let me first review this and then walk into the next point because I think you're about to ask the question. So again, to summarize this first point, Shimuel is not negating our Mishnah, he's defining our Mishnah. He says when the Mishnah tells us that these are Mu'adim mitahilatam, the lion from its initial attack, attack, it means when the lion does it in the normal fashion of a lion attack. That's the way that works. That's how Tosafot made it clear. How do we resolve Rashi? We have to argue something along the lines of that Rash quoted by Shitam Mikubetzit, that the way in which we say it's Mu'ad mitahilato, irrespective of what it did, is when it's attacking and only attacking. When it's eating, then even, uh, then even Rashi she is going to have to agree with Shimuel's words. You're going to have to pay attention to what's the normal and not normal way. The Sivaran, that is, is a little bit more tenuous, but that's the suggestion. The next question here is a quite simple question as well. It's not even technical per se, the question. The question goes like this. Let me understand this. The animal, if it does its regular action, which I told you the logic on this, when it's regular action, the owner should have been aware of this, but it does it in the public area, zero. Why? If it does the regular action, if it does an irregular action in the public area, hatzinezik, it does the regular action. What's the regular action of a, of a lion? To attack and to eat while alive, patur. Why, Shane? I don't understand the logic over here. The logic, let's, let's move this a step backwards to try to understand why this is so difficult. Let me ask you a question. We've been dealing with this throughout the Masechet. How did you make sense of it? We've said it more than once. We've even explained it more than once. But do we have this clear? When Shin is patur b'shut if my animal eats your hay, if my animal eats your object, which you left out in a public area, I'm patur. If my animal tramples your item, which was left in the public area, I'm patur. Why in those situations? to my patur. You are killing me here. Absolutely patur. It's a pasuk in the Torah. Israel. Yes, Charlie. What? I understand. I'm asking you why. I am aware of what it means. What's that? That's correct. In other words, both the person who owns the item which was eaten, oh, I understand why you're saying that. You're saying if it's an irregular thing, the Mishnah says, Davar Hara'ui. Okay, all right, I said it, eat something. Okay, all right, uh, technicalities. Because uh, the owner of the item should have realized this is a normal thing to happen. And since this is so normal, 
we can't expect the owner of the animal to be so vigilant, to make your animal act in an abnormal fashion. We give permission for animals to be out in the public area. The normal things it's going to do, you're not responsible for, the people around you are responsible for. And I was driving on the speed limit, someone, something, not a child, whatever, something comes in front of it and I, I'm responsible, I was looking, it was a last minute, thing. I don't know exactly how that works, but that's the basic logic. Your, uh, your car- carriage without a baby and it comes right in front of my car at the last minute, I'm trying to make this not terrible, right at the last minute, I'm not liable, I was going on the speed limit, I was being vigilant and in the last second, that's just a normal thing that I was not doing wrong and you're fine. That being the case, um, I, I now have a question. When I'm talking about a lion bershut rabim, lions don't go on bershut rabim. If lions don't go on the Shuta Rabim, it's not on you who owns the... Uh, what's that? That's true. Make it even better. Since people don't own lions, but I do own a lion, and Shemuel is talking about where my lion is, Bishuta Rabim, uh, again, I should be responsible, not the person who got damaged. Oh, but it's not a regular way. It is the regular way in which it attacked Adarabah. In this situation, since it is regular, and it's not regular to have a lion there, you should be liable for Nezek Shalim. This is the question, best of my knowledge, first asked by Yam Shil Shilomo. That's the page I gave you. Uh, Yam Shil Shilomo is written by Rabbi Shilomo Luria. Rabbi Shilomo Luria is a very important Polish rabbi, lived 16th century. He writes here at the bottom of the page, this is Siman Mem Zayin, the bottom of the page, the last paragraph, he writes, Aval Pelia. I have a tremendous difficulty. I have a difficulty with those last final wild five animals that the patur when you eat in Roshut Rabim Mishum Shen. This is not Shen. This is not a regular case of where it benefited in a normal fashion. The reason that Shen Regal are patu when they do it in a public area, because I have permission to bring my animal into the Shuta Rabim. And you know that. And I don't need to be so vigilant to make certain that it doesn't eat. That's a normal thing. Anything that is. Thank you, Eli. Normal for it, typical for it to eat. Oh, that's, that's what it's going to eat. And it's Hayab only when it walked into the wrong property. And a lion which goes out and eats animals while they're alive. And all other cases of that sort. Or is it really logical in any way for us to say, well, that's the normal fashion. As a result, I'm I brought my, uh, my owned uh, lion. Nobody now can use the public area. You want to know why? I mean, basically, Yamshel uh, Shalomo is saying you ruined communities. Anytime I have an animal, he goes further. He says, now I don't need to pay for food. I'll just bring my lion out to the public area, let it devour whatever it likes. It's, it's a normal thing. And it's Shem Be'ashut Rabim, it's going to be patur. That's where he writes it. Ozeev, I have, I don't know, a wolf or a lion. I'll leave it out in the public area. It's not really going to, I'm not going to be liable for all that much. Only the things that it damaged, not the things that it ate. Is it possible that the Torah says you're patur in such a situation? Yamshel Shalom is very bothered, as he should be, by this 
illogical conclusion, suggests Yamshel Shilomo in the second paragraph here on page Samechet, Lachen Muchrachani Loma, Meharshe Enze Min Hamatsui Lahayot Biyishuv, Kemoshe Katav Rambam Perusha Mishnayot, Imken Hatora, Lohileka Beniskeshen Veregel, Uleolam Turim Bereshutarabim. Suggests Yamshel Shilomo, the way it works is as follows. Since this is such a not regular, normal fashion, therefore, to, to own a lion, as, as Judah said a moment ago, who owns a lion? I don't own a lion. It's not going to be a normal case. The Torah never distinguished, nor did the Hachamim, in saying, if it's a lion, it has these laws. If it's a different type of animal, it has those laws. Which means to say, and he goes on to say this at great length, any time, or oftentimes, that I'm dealing with a law system, any and every one of the specific and particular details are not always going to be spelled out. And sometimes, it's a difficult and hard to hear message, sometimes the system is going to birth forth situations that, that doesn't make any sense, that's unfair. But the fact that it's so not prevalent, it's so rare for a person to own a lion, the hachamim in the Torah never made such, such distinctions. Were it to be such a reality, were it to be that people start buying their lions, he doesn't write this, what the hachamim would have to do in such a situation is make a new takana, a new gezerah. But effectively what he's describing in this paragraph, and he's got a lot of other fascinating examples, is when we have principles that the Torah sets up for us, they will exist even in the loophole situation. That's the way any law system works. One of the examples that you might appreciate, four lines into this paragraph, it says the fact that nizikin or be'idit ba'chov benodit and ktubati shabeziborit. Remember the different levels of land that you pay back with. You might recall we even read in the Gemara there were some situations that ended up kind of funny because of that. That's the halachala. You'll have loopholes. You're going to have funny loopholes like this one, but that's nonetheless going to stand because that's the way a law system works. We can't and won't address every single specific minute situation. We're instead going to give a general principle which will 99% of the time make a lot of logical sense, sometimes not as much so. Okay, well that's what we have in the Gemara. So again, let's review in the Gemara and move onward in the Gemara here because the Gemara will now just get into the specifics of how lions attack. Lots of fun. Says the Gemara again, uh, Amar Shemuel, three lines from the top, last word. Amar Shemuel, Ari Bereshut Rabim Daras Ve'achal. If the Ari, if the lion attacks, kills, and then eats, Patur. In such a situation, that is, excuse me, without killing. That's the normal way it would do it, and therefore it's Patur. That's what we just addressed and discussed. Taraf Ve'achal. If it entirely kills and then eats, Hayav. In such a situation, that is irregular, and as a result, it's considered keren, your hayav nezik shalem daras ve'achal patur, the Gemara spells it out now for us, if it attacks without killing the prey and eats your patur, kevan de orchel midras, havale kemosh achla perot v'yerakot, havale shen bereshut harabim, upatur, if it attacks, while not killing, leaving it alive, it's just like my ox, my cow eating fruits in Rishut Rabim and Patur. Again, the difficulty in the logical or illogical uh, um, symmetry, Yamsho Shilomo pointed out. What about Taraf? What about when it entirely kills its prey? Lavorhehu. That's not the normal fashion of a lion when it attacks. And therefore, what's going to be the halacha in such a situation? You're paying half like Kirin. Says the Gemara, Lememra, Ditrefa, Lavorhehu. Is it really so that lions, the not normal, the abnormal fashion of going and eating their prey is 
by killing than eating? That's really so? And we're going to challenge this not from the zoo, not from the jungle, but from a pasuk in Nahum. That's what we're going to do. We're going to quote a pasuk and notice that apparently it is normal for lions to kill and only then to eat. The Haketiv doesn't the pasuk say in Nahum, Aryeh Toref. Pasuk says explicitly, Aryeh Toref. What does Toref mean? It kills. Bede Gorotav for its children. So animals, lions, do kill before eating, says the Gemara. But did you listen to those second words? Bede Gorotav for its children. The word Gorotav, many people know today from Goreha Ari. The Ari's out of its Hakluria, the great Kabbalist. His students were known as Goreha Ari. Many of his students, generation, two generations afterwards. He was known as the Ari, the lion, and as a result, his students are Gorotav. Anyway, so says the Gemara, Bishvil Gorotav. That's the way it works. I, I got it. You're right. If it's going to give to its children, it doesn't give them even in a high. It kills it and then gives to them. In the normal fashion where it's killing to eat by itself, it doesn't kill, it just attacks and then eats. But the pasuk continues. The next words in the pasuk are, umhanek otav. It says, and it strangles, meaning kills its prey, for its lavi. What's a lavi? It's a female lion. A lioness or whatever. So, uh, wait a second. You see, it does sometimes kill. It is normal. Answers the Gemara, Bishvil Levo Otav. That's right. The, the lion would kill before eating if it's giving it to its children or to its wife. Uh, but wait a second. The Pasuk still says more. Vaimale Teref Horav. It says it fills the dead prey, it fills the excess meat into the holes in its cave. You see, it is killing. It's storing it away. Says the Gemara, that's right. When you're storing it, you kill it. When you're eating it on the spot, you don't kill it. Bishvil horav. If it's for storing in its holes, that the lion would kill for. To in the moment eat, lions don't kill and then eat. But the pasuk says one more thing. It says um onotav terefa. It says, and it fills its abode, I guess its cave, with terefa, with dead meat. So you see, animal lions do kill and then keep in their living room. Answers the Gemara, that's right, bishvil me'onotav. Indeed, a lion, if it's to fill its living room, it would kill. If it's to fill its storage holes, it would kill. If it's for its wife, it would kill. If it's for its children, it would kill. But a lion in the moment where it needs lunch, breakfast, or dinner, what does it do? It attacks and eats while still alive. Why are we mentioning all this? To get back to the statement of Shimuel. What was the statement of Shimuel? that the Ari, which was mentioned in our Mishnah, don't assume under all circumstances it's Hayav or Patur. It depends on how it kills. And in turn, each one of those animals that were mentioned in the Mishnah, significantly, you'll have to analyze, was this a normal or abnormal way that the owner of this animal should have realized it was going to attack? If it was done in a public area and it's a normal way, it's going to be Shein Bershutarabim and ironically Patur. If it's the abnormal way, it's Keren Bershutarabim and Hayav. If it's done Bershutanizak, if it's done outside of the public area, if it's the normal way, Shein Bereshut and Hayav. Keren, well, it'll be Mahlok between Bitarfon and Hachamim, but it means that you're going to have the regular Keren obligation, Shutanizak, or Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.